Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. Remain standing, get your Bibles. We're going to Hebrews chapter 4. I'm actually uh, planning to take this into four parts. I want to preach this and teach this in four parts. So today, Tuesday night, next Sunday morning, and then the following Tuesday night, I'm going to be teaching on the four temptations of Jesus Christ. The four temptations of Jesus Christ. And I want to begin with this being our foundation scripture from Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Praise God. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Somebody say profession. Hold fast your profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Heavenly Father, we come to you today thanking you, Father, for the word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your people that have gathered. We're celebrating you today. We're thanking you today. Lord, and we know that we face trials and tests. We know that we come against issues, the Lord, and attacks. But today you have promised us that we can overcome. Lord, you give us example of how to overcome. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your blessings in Jesus' mighty name. Let everybody say amen. Praise God. Somebody say, I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. Hallelujah. God bless you. You can be seated today. We often see the side of Jesus Christ as being God, which he was and is. We see him as being the divine, one that is robed in flesh. We think of him as being the water walker, the way maker, the one that touches the funeral procession, touches the coffin and the boy arises, the one that uh, feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. We see him as the one who turned the water into wine and the one who healed their sick and raised the dead. Amen. But it is the human side that you and I wrestle with because we are not like Christ in the fact that we do not have a dual divinity, that we are God robed in flesh. 
we have God in us, helps us, but we're still human. I got, that, that is as deep as you're probably going to get today, that, that, that I'm still human. Somebody say, I'm still human. Amen. You don't have your wings yet. You don't have your halo yet. You're still human. Amen. When we look at this, we find that the writer of Hebrews says, for we have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He feels. Our high priest feels because he was in all points tempted are tested as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ, our high priest, our mediator, our go-between, our counselor, is not cold and indifferent to our feelings because he can feel what we feel. He can feel what we feel. He has experienced human emotions so he can better Help us with our human need. He feels. Our high priest is not cold and unfeeling. He understands uh, what it is to, to sympathize. He is qualified to sympathize and empathize with us. Let me just tell you, there is no pain that you can ever experience that he doesn't understand. There is no test too great that he does not understand. He has experienced it yet without sin. He understands my weakness and your weakness. He understands our frailty because he come in contact with that himself. Though he was unblemished without sin, yet he could still feel what you feel. Somebody say, he feels what I feel. Aren't you glad for that? Because I got some feels. And you've got some feels. A bunch of them. He was tempted. The sense here in the word tempted is, is, is tested in order to ascertain the nature of something, including its per imperfections and faults or qualities. He was tempted in all points. Study the life of Christ and you will find a life of constant test, constantly being put up against things. He was persecuted. He was hunted down like a, a, a criminal with wanted posters. He, he was hunted down. He experienced and endured sorrows and physical pains on the cross that you and I will never know. But he knew it. Amen. He experienced the cruelty of death, the humiliation of the cross, and the excruciating pain of nails in his hands and feet. His life was a battery of tests and trials and temptation. Amen. The Bible provides us with some specific Test and temptations that come against Christ. I want to talk about four of them for, for the next few services on uh, Sunday morning and Tuesday night. But the Bible says in Matthew 4 and 1 that Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. 
I want you to just let that sink in for a minute. Jesus was led, the man Christ Jesus was led by the Spirit to a wilderness place for the sake of the devil to beat on him, to buffet him. Hallelujah. I just want to tell you, sometimes we think that what we're having is an attack because it's an attack of the devil. It may be a spirit wilderness call. It may be that the spirit is calling us to the wilderness because we need to learn how to overcome because we've got a destiny that's headed for something and we've got to learn to overcome. If we can overcome this, then we can walk in this destiny. Well, I want to be this with God. I want to have this purpose with God. I want to have, well, you're probably going to have a wilderness experience led by the Spirit. To understand the setting of the story of the temptation of Christ, we need to look within the context of Scripture to see the scene unfold. John the Baptist. How many of you know who John the Baptist is? John the Baptist was a firebrand of a prophet. He was preaching in the wilderness. Amen. What a place to have a church. I find this remarkable that he was preaching in the wilderness. He was passionate. He was anointed. He was different. He was unique. And yet people left Jerusalem and Judea and went to the wilderness to hear this guy preach. Without lights, without air condition, without a padded seat to sit in, without a, a, a nice, you know, surrounding to, to be around. No, they left their homes and went, he must have been something else. He must have been incredible. Maybe they went to see the show, but, but John the Baptist was, was an anointed prophet that went into the wilderness uh, and, and he was strangely dressed had some weird habits. Uh, he was a ruffian. Amen. He was, my dad would call him a codger. He was a codger. He was, you know, he had a, I, I hear him as, as one that had a rough voice that said, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Preaching. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John fulfilled the prophetic words of, of Isaiah when the Bible said he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. He is the harbinger of the king. He is the go-before. He is the one that is preparing the way, the forerunner of Messiah. John wore garments of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. He wasn't worried about his fashion uh, sense, he, he, he ate locusts and wild honey. And just let me stop and say here, uh, that's not bugs. Okay? When he said locusts and wild honey, there's actually a fruit in the Palestine area called locusts. And still to this day, they pour honey on this fruit uh, called locusts. Just for uh, your thought. But we find that they, they left from Jerusalem and Judea and all the region around about Jordan and they were going to hear him preach and baptize people. He was baptizing folks left and right. But John also attracted religious people. He attracted the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They come out to see the show. Amen. And this is same John looked at them and he said, Hey, you generation of vipers. Hey, you slippery snakes. 
You might need to get baptized, but all you want to do is get baptized to wet your skin. You're not worried about the sin in your life. Uh, you're white in the sepulchers. Uh, you need to bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. Uh, amen. He essentially looked at the Pharisees and Sadducees and, and said, Now, don't you think you're special because you're a children of Abraham? Don't you think because you, you can pull rank uh, that you're something better than Abra uh, uh, better than others, uh, but but Listen, God could take these stones and raise up children unto Abraham. For he told them in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, he said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's a Holy Ghost that comes and not only illuminates and, and gives you passion and purpose but it cleans you up. A lot of people want the tongues and they want the excitement but they don't want the, the fire to clean them up. In verse 13, it says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou unto me? And Jesus answering him said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, and Jesus, noticed this, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and the Spirit of God descended like a dove and lighted upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Why in the world was there not a gazillion converts right then? I don't understand. But there is a voice from heaven that is speaking, and what does he say? This is my my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. One translation or one paraphrase says it like this. This is my beloved son in whom I am pleased to dwell. Thank the Lord. So powerful is that statement. So wonderful and, and glorious is the revelation. Jesus no longer is operating incognito. Jesus is no longer operating behind the scenes. The secret is out. Here is Messiah. Here is the one for whom they have waited. The one that they had put a table, had set the table for to come. Amen. This is the one that they look for. But let me just tell you also, Jesus the man heard it with his own ears. I am the son of God. I am the son of God. I am the son of God. I want to tell you today, God wants you to know who you are. God wants you to know who you are. God wants you to know who you are. And Jesus was led after this, after hearing this, after being baptized, after going through all of this, Jesus is led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. His ministry does not start right off, but he has to go through some testing. He has to go through some, some process. He has to go through some situations before his inauguration 
of miracles began. Amen. They say to us that death and taxes are the certainties of life. Can I add one more? Temptation. Temptation is a certainty of life. It is part of the human condition. You and I will be tempted. You and I will face temptation. But temptation is not sin until I give in to it. Hallelujah. So when it says that we have a high priest that was tempted at all points, yet without sin, it says, it is saying he didn't give in to it, but he overcome it. So if Jesus, if the man, and Christ Jesus can overcome those kind of temptations, then I will tell you, if I have Christ in me, the hope of glory, then I too can overcome the temptations that come my way. Well, I just can't help myself. Baloney. The temptation came from the enemy, but God set it up. The temptation come from the, oh, we don't like that, do we? God, you're supposed to keep me happy and everything's supposed to be good in my world. And I'm never supposed to have a problem. I'm, I'm supposed to go through life just singing and dancing and, and uh, happy. Uh-uh. Temptation comes from the enemy, but God set it up. The attack was of the devil, but God prepared it to allow it for Jesus to overcome for his mission and for you and I. Those of us who are the sons and daughters of God will face wilderness moments. We will face those moments when we go into a place that we feel like we are all alone. We go into the place where we are hungry and destitute and worn out and look like we have been on Survivor for 30 days and we are skin and bones and we're just barely getting by and yet we realize God sent us there. God sent us there. We are so pampered in our world today when everything's got to be just right. Oh no, sometime God sends us to a place of loneliness, of seeing our weakness and knowing our frailty. Experiencing temptation does not make you bad. It makes you human. Any humans in the place? Anybody human in this place today? Temptation makes you human. James, the brother of Jesus, who witnessed all this firsthand and was up close and personal with Jesus Christ and knew who he was. James said it like this in chapter 1 and verse 14. But every man, every human being, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Jesus was a human being and temptation paid him a visit. Temptation came at him, but he said, listen, I'm going to overcome you. I'm going to be victorious. And in every temptation, he said these words, it is written. Come on and give God praise for his word. There will be temptations, but there will be victory.
I said, there will be temptations. How many of you have ever walked away from something that was a strong temptation and you realize, I just licked that. I just overcome that. Uh, amen. I had a temptation, a, a, a temptation to go here and do that, but I didn't. Had a temptation to watch that, but I didn't. Had a temptation to gossip and complain and murmur and gripe, but I didn't. Had a temptation to run my brother and sister down, but I didn't. Amen. What are you saying? I can overcome and I can resist because my example, Jesus Christ, shows me the way. How to overcome. Yes. Come on, give him praise in this place. A lot of us want to go to our wilderness experience at some kind of desert resort with a spa. Got nice massage places where we can get our stuff all fixed up and roughing it. Going to the wilderness and roughing it like Palm Springs, you know. I'm going to go rough it like some, some real highfalutin resort where I'm eating strawberries and sipping on iced tea. That's tough. That is tough. Hmm. Jesus was not going to some kind of fancy resort. He was out in the element for 40 days. Hot during the day, cold at night. Where did he sleep? On the ground. No bed, no mattress on the ground. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. If you study Luke's rendition of this, he alludes to the fact that Jesus was tempted the whole time. Can you imagine? Mr. Hastings describes a painting by Concilius entitled The Temptation of Jesus, which paints a vivid portrayal of the intense struggle that Jesus is going under. The painting is described as Jesus has bloodshot eyes, red lids, Disheveled hair. With one hand, his fingers are twisted and twined into his matted beard, and his other hand is grabbing his wrist. His eyes are big and sunken and looking straight forward as if to peer through nothing, hollow. Behind him is a, a vague figure in the form of a person that's holding a crown over his head. 40 days without food, 40 days surviving the wilderness, 40 days of harassment and seduction, provocation of the enemy of his soul was constant upon him. Can you imagine though that, that at some point he looks up and in the spirit sees a window into heaven and there are the host of angels standing there looking at the scene seeing what is happening to the Messiah, the Lord of glory, the Son of God, the King of kings, and they could not do a thing. Standing there 
as if poised with their hands maybe on their swords ready to pounce upon it because there's another angel down there that they could take care of with just one flick of his finger because the Bible said with the finger God cast out the devil. All it would take was just one call and all of these angels would have come but they stood there watching and he knew he could have escaped in a moment and a word. Amen. Let me just tell you the devil will want you to think I can escape this just with one word. I can get by this with one word but I choose to hang on because I'm not looking for an exit. I'm looking for a victory. I'm not looking for an excuse. I'm looking for a victory. Aspiring Navy SEALs have to endure several phases of intense training. The Navy SEALs are said to be among the elite of the elite. There's other groups there. But it come across, you, you've heard this before, Hell Week is considered one of the most intense training of any army service. Jesus experienced Hell Week for 40 days. Not just Hell Week with all the, the physical training that a Navy SEAL goes through, but hell attacking him. The enemy attacking his mind. The enemy attacking his purpose. If Jesus was going to give up, he was not going to give up in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was not going to give up on the cross. He was going to give up in the wilderness of temptation. Amen. I want to tell you, God's got a destiny for you. God's got a place for you. But hang on in the wilderness. Overcome the temptation. Overcome the test. Hallelujah. You do not have to be bound by that thing. You do not have to be bound by in the name of Jesus. Come on and praise him. I got the victory. I got the victory in Jesus' name. I want to break the text down and the temptations down into four. Today I'm going to cover the first one and Tuesday night we'll look at number two and so forth for the next Sunday and the next Tuesday. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2 says, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. Somebody say, I know that's right. I fast for 40 hours and I'm hungry. I fast for four. I'm hungry right now. <laughs> I hadn't fasted at all. Well, I hadn't eaten any breakfast, but. He was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, when, it's not a matter of if, it's not a matter of will I face temptation, it's a matter of when. Can I tell you, I'm 60 years old, and I thought, Brother Jason, by now I would be past temptations. I've been living for the Lord for a long time, preaching since the age of 14. I thought that I would be past dealing with temptations. And thanks be to God, there are some things I have flat demolished. And I no longer have a problem with them. But the devil always...
always comes up with some new stuff. He, he always comes up with some new things. And, and sometimes some of the old things, I want to say until the Lord comes or till I go by way of the grave, I realize I'm going to face temptation. But I do not have to give in to it. I can overcome it. I do not have to be, be in a place where I've got to be submitted to that and it overcomes me. Hallelujah, Paul said. I'm no longer a servant to sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Praise God. I don't know if y'all going to get to the meal in a little while anyway because I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I'm going to keep on preaching until I'm done. Somebody say hallelujah. And when the tempter came, he said, notice these words. He said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Some of you that are quick counters, how many words is that temptation? Quickly count that. How many words is Satan speaking? Then you show me your hands. Five. You already sure? Okay. How many? Seven. There's not this big long discourse. There's not this big argument. There's not he's stating his case like, like some debate. He just simply says, if thou be the son of God, command these stones to be bread. Mm. The first attack I want to tell you that the enemy comes against us is provision. Somebody say provision. And there are different elements to this provision. First of all, he says, if you want to provide for yourself, you have to perform. If you want to provide for yourself, you have to perform. Come on, you turn these stones into bread. You turn it, you're hungry. You've got the power. You're the son of God. If you be the son of God, you turn these stones into bread. Physically weakened, Jesus does not summon his divine nature. He does not summon the divine nature that walks on the water and raises the dead. He stands as a man and says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceed out of the mouth of God. Hallelujah. He stood the test as a human, not as divine, but as a man. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for that? The enemy today wants us to perform to get our provision. If I don't make a way, it's not going to be made. If I don't do it, it's not going to be done. I want to tell you today, we need to look at the word of God and say, Lord, you're my source. I listen to the word of God. You are my source of strength. You are my source of hope. I need to pray before I buy. I need to pray before I marry. I need to pray before that job. I need to pray before what I do because your wisdom is beyond mine. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What is he saying? Satan had an if and Jesus had an answer. 
And what was his answer? I will only say about me and my provision, my performance, what God says. What does God say about you? If you do not know what God says about you, you get tripped up in a, in a, in a temptation like this. Come on, perform. Come on, you can perform. Come on, you can do this. Amen. Your provisions. Uh, uh, turn these stones into the bread. God won't supply your needs. You need to supply it yourself. God won't supply your needs. You need to take care of yourself. I believe in being wise stewards. But when it comes down to the bottom line, anything can happen to all of us at any time. We can lose it all. Everything can go haywire. All the economy can go belly up. I I could become uh, ill or whatever the case may be. And if I don't know now that he's my source, I will have a hard time then knowing he's my source. Perform. Man, we are performance people, aren't we? If you be the son of God, perform. I want to just stop here and tell you that I preached a little bit about this at camp, but it doesn't matter how much you read your Bible. It doesn't matter how much you pray. It doesn't matter how many people you get saved. It doesn't matter how much you speak in tongues. If God is not your source, it's a performance, and that's it. Because a lot of people can read their Bible and are going straight to hell. There are those that speak in tongues that have no relationship with God and are going to go to hell. I believe today that it's important that I understand he's my source and I don't live by my performance. I don't live by my, my numbers. Amen. I don't live by how many people I bring to church, though I'm going to bring them to church. It's not, that's not who my identity is. Jesus was about to be a miracle worker, but he needed to understand as a man, that's not who I am. I am the son of God. It is not, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost today. It is not your performance. Performance. It is not your dress even that makes you who you are. It is that you are a child of God. You are a son of God. You've been washed in his blood, buried in his name, filled with his spirit. Hallelujah. Oh, come on and praise him today. So he attacked him on the on the issue of provision through performance. But he also attacked him on his person. For he said, if you're really the son of God, what just happened in chapter 3? Anybody remember what we, what we read? What happened when Jesus was baptized? There was a voice from heaven. It was the Father speaking. It was God's Spirit speaking from heaven. And he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
can I tell you, if you've got that ringing in your head, you can go to a wilderness experience and you can face your trial and you can face your lean time and you can face your frailty and you can face your flesh and you can come out on the other side and the devil say, now if you are the son of God, yes, I am the son of God. I remember what God said about me. I remember what his word said about me. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Get away from me. God's going to supply my need. I'm going to be all right. Clap your hands, somebody. Hallelujah. You know, here's what the enemy comes to us today and say. If you really are who you say you are, if you really are apostolic, if you're really water baptized in Jesus' name, filled with his spirit, and you really are, then this wouldn't be happening to you. How many of you have ever had that voice in your head? If you really are a child of God, you really love the Lord, then this wouldn't be happening to you. You wouldn't be going through this. That's what the enemy comes to attack us on. Hallelujah. But in return, we've got to realize is that we don't live by performance. We live by declaration. Let me say it again. My identity is not based on my need. My identity is not based on my desires. My identity is not based on my hunger. It's not based on my weakness. It's not based on my humanness or my lack of power. My identity is not based on my feelings. It's not based on my emotion. But it is based upon every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I am who I am. Not because I'm Tim Gill or because I'm a pastor or because whatever you want to say. I am because he says. I am his son. Oh, thank God. Praise God. Your identity matters. Why do you think the world is having such a struggle with their identity today? Because it's a temptation of the enemy to say, you're worthless. You're worthless. I want you to listen very closely to me. Don't paste a lie on your Facebook page that says I'm worthless or says I'm a nobody. Don't paste a lie. Can I get a witness? Because that's what the devil says. And I refuse to be a mouthpiece for the boogeyman. I refuse to be a mouthpiece for the enemy of my soul. I am not a failure. I am not a fraud. Oh, I might have some failings and I might be fraudulent in some of my ways, but I can always go back to the word of God and hear him say, I will forgive you. I, will re- I am a child of God. I am a child of the king. Amen. His worth, his worth is who I am. He is, I am who he says I am. Amen. Jesus knew who he was. When you begin to look toward the end of his ministry, Jesus knew who he was. Look at John 13 and 1. John 13 and 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew 
that his hour was come that he should depart out of the world unto the Father. He's getting ready to finish his earthly course. Having loved his own which, he, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Oh, praise be to God. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, listen to this, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, raised from supper, laid aside his garment and took a towel and girded himself. How could Jesus serve and, and wash the disciples' feet is because he knew who he was, he knew why he was here, and he knew what his purpose was. I want to tell you the way you can serve in the kingdom of God. You want to be a minister and have a ministry in the kingdom of God is know who you are and know what your purpose is and serve it with all of your heart. Amen. Others may ridicule you and say you're not much, but I know who I am. I know who I am. There are three options for you to decide who you are. Three. What other people say you are. You are what other people say you are. This generation is grappling with this. The world doesn't want you to know who you are. They want to tell you who you are. They want to tell little kids, you're not a boy, you're a girl. Mm. That's how serious it is. The identity war of today is nothing less than a battle for destiny. Because if the enemy can get you to feel like you are something that you are not, then temptation is easy. It's easy. It'll go to the next level. It'll go to something worse. It'll go to something harsher. Amen. Because that is what happens when other people tell you who you are. When other be people speak in your life. Amen. Let me, mom and dad, don't ever tell your kid they're worthless. I need a big amen from every parent, every grandparent in the house. Don't tell your kid that they're worthless. Don't tell them they are dumb. Don't tell them they're stupid. Don't tell them they'll never amount to anything. Amen. Even if you think it, don't say it. Amen. I had much rather... Work with a cocky teenager that knows they've got some purpose in life than one that doesn't know who they are and will just be open their door to every Tom, every Sally, every situation that comes around and just follow after that. Amen. I believe we ought to tell them who they are, not because of, of our own ideas, but tell them what the Bible says about them. This is who God says you are. God said you can do all things through Christ with strength you. God says in the time of fear, what time you are afraid, you can trust in the Lord. Amen. God's word is what will keep you through. Come on and praise him in this house. What other people ascribe to me cannot be my declaration of who I am. Neither can what I say of myself. Who do I say I am? What happens when we begin to describe ourselves and we have self-description for identity 
all of a sudden than it is if I had different parents, I'd be better. If I'd grown up in a different neighborhood or different city or different county or different country, I, I, my life would be better. If I had quit school or if I hadn't quit school, if I hadn't become a single parent or if I hadn't uh, 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 fallen into sin before marriage, amen, if this, when you describe yourself, uh, everything becomes a dead end. I want to say to the, to the Medora community, it is a lie from the devil to hear the enemy say, you'll never amount to anything because you grew up in the Medora. Baloney, that's not true. That's what the enemy says. Hallelujah. Do you realize today there are some unchangeable things, but it's what we say about ourselves. Go ask the 10 spies that said, we went into the promised land and we saw the sons of the giants there and we became grasshoppers in our own sight. Oh, but it was Joshua and Caleb that said, we're well able. Why? They never called themselves grasshoppers. Finally, there's a third voice that'll tell you who you are, and that is God. God. What does God say? I'm chosen. Somebody say, I'm chosen. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm a child of God and an heir of God. Amen. I am righteousness of God. I am hid with Christ. I am who he says I am. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works. Somebody say, I was destined for good works because I'm a child of God. I was destined for good works because I'm a child of God. For God hath ordained that we'll walk in them. Oh, praise be to God. If you know who God says you are, then you could say like the psalmist in 139 and 14, I will pray. Praise thee, for I am. I am. Somebody say, I am. I love talking about you, but I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. I know who I am so I can overcome the temptation of provision, of providing for myself, of performance for myself. I know who I am. If you know who you are, why don't you stand to your feet right now and begin give God praise. Hallelujah. Hey, hey, glory be to God. I'm a child of God. I'm bought with the price. I am not my own. Oh, glory be to God. My soul knows it right well. I, my soul knows it right well. I understand this year they're estimating that we will reach the 8 billion mark on planet earth. Eight billion people. Maria, there's only one you. Sam, there's only one you. Matt, there's only one you. Keith, there's only one you. Hannah, there's only one you. Think about that. Out of the eight billion that populates this world, God chose you to live now. Yes. 
to be alive now. He chose you and me to deal with the chaos of the culture that we're in now. Square your shoulders back and say, it is written, I am a child of God. I have been bought with a price. Jesus saved me. He redeemed me. I refuse to say who I am by my flesh. And I refuse to listen to say what other people say of me. I am a child of God. School is not going to define me. Work is not going to define me. My performance is not going to define me. Miracle signs and wonders do not define me. Amen. But the word of God defines me. And he says I'm his son. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.